And uh, it, was, it was great just to get to know him a little bit and to hear his heart. Um, little to know I, that I'd be in Calgary a few years later and we'd be in a relationship again. So it's, it's pretty cool. My name's Johnny, and uh, we have just moved as a family here to Calgary. Uh, moved from British Columbia where I uh, lived all my life. And uh, there we planted a church much like this in a theater, um, except they do a better job of cleaning here. Um, the big thing in our theaters, we'd always have to, our feet would always stick, but when you want to get up, they would always be stuck to the ground because of the, of the pop that was spilt the night before. And so it, it seems like they do a great job of cleaning this place. Um, but it's great to be here. Uh, like Trevor said, I'm a regional director for C2C Network, uh, which is a, a network that we're planting churches from C2C. Um, it's an interno- interdenominational network, and we're passionate about reaching Canada for God. Um, C2C is basically, um, in Psalm 72, verse 8, it says that, that he may he have dominion from C2C. And it's on our parliament buildings in Ottawa that they've put there. And, and we say, God, we, we want to take that seriously. We want you, Jesus, and your gospel to have dominion from C to C. And, and that's what we want to do. And so we're interdenominational. And so it's not about planting a flag of what denomination we'd be, but it's about reaching Canada for Christ. In Canada, there's 34 million plus people living here. And what they've done is they've done studies. And in 1971, 1% of our population said that they had no religious affiliation. 1%. In 1985, that percent rose to 11% that said they had no religious affiliation. Now, that's not Christian. That's not um, gospel-centered. That's just religious affiliation. And so you see where our country's going. In 2005, it jumped another 11%, and it went to 22% of people that don't have any religious affiliation. The fastest-growing religion in Canada is Wicca. In 2001, the last year for the religious census data is available, 43% of Canadians said they had not been in a religious service of any kind in the last 12 months. And when the new stats come out, we're not sure what that's going to look like. But the reality is, is people in Canada are not doing what you're doing. They're doing other things because what they found is that they don't really need God. They don't really need to be based in the gospel, and so they're doing different things. The reality is that 64% of Canadians live in cities. 64%. And that's why it's important. That's why I'm so excited of what you guys are doing here in the city of Calgary, down in this urban core, is that you're reaching people who have no interest in the gospel. And also what's happening is the Prairie Provinces of Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba boast a combined population of 6 million people with more than half living in urban areas. The prairies, with the wealth that's coming here, are becoming more urban all the time. So we need to be in the cities, and that's why I'm so excited for Urban Grace. Recent census reports reveal that Calgary, Edmonton, Regina, and Saskatoon have experienced some of the fastest growth of cities in Canada. We are growing here in Calgary. And that's why it's so great that Urban Grace is, is growing. Um, I want to tell you a little bit. That's, that's kind of my, my commercial for C2C. Uh, we're here to serve. Um, I'm here to serve Trevor. I'm here to serve Urban Grace and to do whatever we can to make sure that Urban Grace is successful. Not that you're huge and and have, you know, buildings everywhere, but but that the grace, the gospel is planted here and that the gospel is going to go out to many other people. And so we're behind that. I'm behind Trevor. I believe in him. Um, And and, and Trevor won't want me to do this, but I'm going to do this anyways. 
is Trevor has been preaching his face off for you guys um, week after week after week. And that's a lot of hard work. And he doesn't complain. He does it on his free time because he's been working so hard. And so I, I just want to encourage you guys to make sure that you tell Pastor Trev how much you love him, how much you respect him, and how much you appreciate him. And, uh, and he would never tell me to say this. He'll get mad at me for saying this. But just encourage him because I know he loves you. He loves this church. And please encourage him, especially over the Christmas season. Him and his family have given a ton to, to give what you guys have this, this morning is a church that's centered on the gospel. Uh, and that's exciting. Um, a little bit about myself. I grew up in the church, uh, have always gone to church. Um, back when I first started, um, my mom would, I was the kid that my mom would go to Sears and she'd buy the fruit suit. And we'd have to wear those weird things because you had to go to church and you had to look good. Um, anybody go to a church where you had to look good? And, and then we would fight on the way to, to church and then we'd all be happy because people at church are happy and we don't want, and we were told, don't tell anybody that we have any problems because we want to make sure that everyone thinks that we're okay, that we're good, right? Um, that's how I grew up. And so I've always gone to church. That's what you do. And I got to the point where I was about 16 years old and I go, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I asked him into my heart when I was seven years old because I was just scared to death to go to hell. Like that just freaked me out. So I, I had my little... Uh, Gideon's Bible, and, and then I would just, I found it in the house, and I would just, every night I would just pray, and I'd pray and make sure if I said it right, you know, because what if I said a word wrong that maybe I would, I would still go to hell, and I was just petrified. But over the years, as I, as I grew in that, I got to about 16, and, and I began, I had friends, I had a car, I was driving, because I thought, man, once I had a driver's license, then life would just be perfect. You know what? And it wasn't. And so I remember, I, I, I I said to God, I said, God, either I want to serve you with everything and I want to know that you are real or I want nothing to do with you because it looks like those that don't believe in you, God, have a lot more fun than I do. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was my call to ministry. That was my saying yes to Jesus. Take my life because living for you, if I'm not living for you, life is not worth living. And that was when I was 16 years old. That was 30 years ago. And I'm just so excited for what God has done. But you know what? I went into the church. I was a youth pastor for years. And I believed in Jesus. I believed in the gospel. But I believed in the small portion of the gospel. I believed that the gospel was about, about okay, yeah, you just come to, come to Christ. And then there's a whole bunch of rules and things that you got to do. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever been that. Maybe, maybe some people, if you, you haven't grown up in church, uh, you see church, well, it's just a bunch of rules. Or maybe you did grow up in church and you've been in church your whole life and, and sometimes you get frustrated because it seems like you can't, you can't ever make it. You, you, you can't ever be successful because, man, you're just always falling down and you, and you live life discouraged. And so instead of being excited about the gospel, you're just kind of waiting until the end comes so you can finally get to heaven and not have to worry about the struggle. And that's a little bit where Paul is, is going today. I, I've titled my sermon... The good news. And that's what the gospel means. It means good news. But I, I want to tell you this morning, this is what Paul is going to tell us, is that the gospel works. The gospel works in your life. Not just say, yeah, I believe in the gospel. I'm, I'm, I've got my ticket to heaven. But, but the gospel works for every single day life. 
And that's what, what I've understood as I've dug deeper and harder into the gospel. Uh, men like Tim Keller have really dis- discipled me through his books and through speaking of what the gospel means and how it affects every aspect of my life. And it's not just a life and death decision. It affects me every single day. It affects me how, how things that I choose, things how I feel about myself and how I act and how I live my life. And so, so if you hear, I know for 13 weeks, Pastor Trev has been the gospel, the gospel. And then he gave me this text. And I, and I said, Trev, are you sure you want to give me this text? Because this text is so good. It's like, I don't, I don't deserve to preach this text. Because you've been, you've been, you, it's like you're, you're setting me up for just a great hit. Like giving me this free pitch. Because in this text, it tells us how the gospel works. And, and when the gospel's working, what your life looks like. Um, so that's where we're going to go. You know, I'm a guy that likes things that work. Um, I, like to, I like to shop at Costco because the reality is Costco will take anything back. If you don't like it, they will take it back. Not that I use it for rental, but like I, I don't feel anything. If I buy it and it's not good, they take it back. That's, that's actually their policy is they will take anything back, no questions asked. I had a friend that was a, uh, used to sell... Um, distribute things. And if he wanted to go to Costco, that was their policy if you deal with Costco. And so I was there actually there one day and this, this woman comes in and she had like all of these appetizers, like 10 different appetizers that were half eaten. And she took it back and they took it back. What they had done is they had a party the night before and they took the leftovers back. So the party didn't cost them anything. But Costco takes everything back. There's, it, you know, it works when you shop there. Um, I was there last week and they're selling this, this pink solution stuff like this, this, this gallon of goop that, that's supposed to clean and fix everything. And, and I was really skeptical, but we bought some and the stuff works. And so the guy's going, you know, he's giving his thing. He's got one of these on. He's telling people what it means and how great this stuff is. I says, you know what? Buy this stuff because it works. Buy this stuff because it works. And you've probably bought things in your life because one of your friends or someone you trust is buy this, it works. And you believe in personal testimony. And that's where I hope that you leave today. He says, you know what? I know the gospel works. And I've got some work to do in my life that, that God wants to do in my life through the Holy Spirit. I'm the kind of kid that when I was uh, about eight years old, I, I wanted to make sure things, I, I like things that work. If they don't work, I'm frustrated. So I, I went to the garage and I got on a motorcycle helmet, put it on my head and I stood on top of the couch and dived head first into the ground. The helmet worked, or maybe it doesn't. You know, after the sermon, you let me know if it works or not. But, but that was the day that I was one of the kids that I rode bikes before helmets. You know, now you have to wear helmets. No, no helmet here. Um, but the reality is, is the helmet worked, or I hope it worked. But we don't want to believe in a gospel. You don't want to waste your time every single week saying that you're a Christian if the gospel does not work. The gospel works. Because it's true. It's the biggest truth that I believe in. It's true because if you know Christ, according to Ephesians 1.13, that the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. The Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you if you know Jesus Christ. So that's why I know the gospel works. I'm not sure where, where more, most of you come from um, as far as your religious background. Some says, you know, the thing that breaks my heart is when people say, you know, I've tried Christianity. I've tried Jesus and it doesn't work. 
And it's so sad because I go, you haven't tried Jesus because if you truly understood the gospel, there's nothing more beautiful in this life. Some of you have been promised something. Now, I was promised that, that my life would be perfect when it came to Christ, and it's not. I still have these temptations. I'm not rich. I'm not healed. What's the deal, Jesus? You, you, you lied to me. I'm following you, and all these things in my life are happening. The, the, the gospel must not work. You must not be true. Some of us may think that, that, that the gospel, that Christianity is just like a toy that didn't work or a product that didn't do what it was said to do. And so like a product or a toy, you take it back to the store and you want a refund and say, I don't want this anymore. And I pray if that is your, if that is your heart, if that's how you felt about the gospel or about Christianity or about Jesus in the past, I pray that this morning that you would maybe open up your heart and say, maybe, that, that, maybe I didn't know the whole thing. Maybe I, I, I just bought into a cheap imitation that was made in a factory overseas and I didn't buy the authentic product. And so I hope this morning that we could look at the authentic product and that you will go away with your, whole, with your, with your spirit in a sense of, oh, yes, this works. This is going to work in my life. Today, I, I just want this to be really practical. Um, Galatians, you've been going through Galatians for 13 weeks. And basically, you could say, sum up Galatians in, in this. The gospel plus anything else equals nothing. The gospel plus anything else equals nothing. The gospel plus nothing. The gospel plus nothing equals everything. And the gospel, it, it's, it's so simple. That God created this amazing world that he, he put, created us in his image. So he's the creator, we're the created. And then he put us in this perfect garden. And, and, he, and he didn't give us a bunch of rules and regulations. He simply said, there's, there's one tree that I don't want you to eat of. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Anything else you could eat. So, so, so think of it, in Cal- us in Calgary, okay? There's one tree. Do we, do we even have a tree in Calgary? I moved from BC, like there's no trees here. Um, there's one tree that you can't, you can't eat of. Everything else, go for it. Like, think about that. But, but Adam and Eve, our, our first parents, they, they said, no, no, I, I don't believe you, God. I don't trust you that you're giving me everything good. There's got to be something more. And, and Eve was tempted. And Adam and Eve, they took that fruit and, and they, they were broken. Their, their relationship with God was now Broken because he said, if you, if you eat of that tree, you will die. And so now the, the relationship from this, this great perfect creation is now broken through their fall and their rebellion where they committed treason against God. But, but right away, even in Genesis 3.15, God is already promising that he's going to send a savior, Jesus Christ, to bring them back to himself, to restore that relationship that was now broken. Because it's, we read in scripture that they would walk, God would walk with them in the cool of the day. But now that relationship was broken. And so now God sends his son, Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus lives the life that we should have lived and died the death that we, that I deserved in my place. And he restores that relationship with, with me and God 
And he, now he calls me to be on mission with him, to be part of that restoration, to, to be able to, to show what it lo- is like to have a restored relationship with God by the way I live my life. And one day we'll restore all things to where it comes together. That's the gospel, that Jesus paid your penalty and mine. And we get a life of freedom and forgiveness. It's unbelievable. Um, so Paul has been, has been doing this all through the Galatians. And last week he, he said to the guys, if you think that circumcision means anything, he said, just cut it all off. If you think that's going to get you something, if that's going to get you anywhere with God, being, do, applying the law. But he says, no, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then he talked about um, um, that you're called to freedom. And too often, if we don't understand the gospel or Jesus and what he's done for us, we think freedom, I could do anything I want. It's all about grace. And and we end up in these two places between grace and freedom. And and maybe some of you have come out of a legalistic place. And and I've dealt with guys in in my church like this. And and they would come and they would would all say, it's all about grace. Yeah, we're cool Christians because we can drink beer. And it's like, no, you're missing the gospel. Yeah, you can have a beer, but you're missing it if you think it's about you can do what you want. It's saying, what can I do for Christ? You see, there's two extremes. There's one extreme of legalism when, when, we, when we kind of uh, understand or, or understand who God is, that we've got to keep all the rules. And there's another extreme of what's called antinomianism, where there's no law. And what we have to do is we have to come to the middle, and the middle is the gospel. The middle is where Jesus is at. Tim Keller says this. He says, there are two ways to be our own savior and Lord. One is by breaking all of the moral laws and setting our own course. And one is by keeping all the moral laws and being very, very good. And I don't know if you've tried that. I've tried to be good. And I, I just fall short all the time because I never make it. I never, I read scripture like we read this morning. It's like, man, I, I fall so short. And so this morning, I, I just want to unpack this. I want to unpack where and how are you using the gospel in your life? Have you gone to one extreme or the other? Have you gone to, say, yeah, we could do whatever we want because it's all about grace and God's going to forgive me no matter what or I can't do anything because I'm now a Christian and I've got to obey all these laws. I sat down with a, with a young pastor this week and he was telling me about a guy that, he, that, that came to know Christ and, and understand the gospel. And now he's dealing with all of these things in his life that are coming up. And I was encouraging this young pastor to say, you know, the reality is, is we say it's all about grace before we come to know God through Jesus. And then we say, okay, here's all the rules. Now start doing this stuff. And I said, you have to allow the spirit to come in and work and convict that person of what they're doing. I says, I look where I'm at today and I'm getting convicted of sin that I, that I had in my life 20 years ago that I'm just being convicted now. It's like, I, I, I thought I was good. You think maybe if you've got one sin in your life that, that is kind of your big sin, that if you finally get through that one sin, if you just get a hold on this one sin, then you're going to be like, almost like Jesus. And then you deal with that one sin and you realize there's a whole bunch more. And it's a, it's a thing called sanctification that, that we're becoming more loving, more like Christ um, day by day. And it's not going to end until we get to, until Jesus comes back. And so I, I want to encourage you that it's not about trying to be perfect. It's about believing and trusting in the one that is perfect, believing in the one that did live a perfect life and that died the death that you deserved. 
So let's get into Galatians 5, uh, 16. But Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And maybe you're here, and you go, you know what? I've tried that. I've tried that, and it doesn't work. I, I, I do it a little bit, and again, it happens again. I come to church. I take communion. I say, I'm not going to do that again. And then, bang, on Monday, Tuesday night, maybe by the weekend, I'm sinning again. And, and, and it's this, this, this cycle. You go to a, a rally, or you go to a conference, and say, yeah, I'm doing, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to stop doing this one thing. And then you, you do it again. And you get like, oh, you get frustrated. You, 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 know, you get rebaptized. You, you recommit and you do all these things. And yet you still keep going back. And then it, it's like you might even want to give up. Paul, I've tried that. It doesn't work either. either maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe he likes, every, it works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me. And then you think, well, maybe I just got to try harder. So you, you do it again, and it gets this treadmill of things that you have to do. And you're trying to please God, and you, it's all about grace, but it doesn't feel like any grace at all. And so Paul goes in, in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And you read that, and you go, okay, thank you, Paul. There is a battle. Other people battle, not just me. And, and Paul really opened this up in Romans chapter 7, where he says, I, I, you know, I, I'm frustrated because I keep doing the things that I don't want to do and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. And I go, that's me, that's me. And Paul's saying the exact same thing here. So if you're one that says, you know, I've tried, but it doesn't, it's a battle. Yes, it's a battle. I want you to know that it's a battle. And I believe the battle is won when we understand the gospel and we apply it to our lives. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. I'm saying I want to be led by the Spirit. I don't want to be under law because I know it's not about rules because I can't keep them all. And that's no fun. And then he goes on to list a whole bunch of sins. Verse, he lists 15, 15 uh, verses to be, or 15 sins to be exact. And then he names the fruit of the Spirit. And again, if you see those those two lists you go yeah man that first one that that's a lot of those describe me i want to tell you if it does describe you that there's hope and 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 these lists aren't a bunch of do's and don'ts and i don't want you to see them as do's and don'ts i want you to see them in the gospel i want you to see them through jesus because it's not about, I don't want you to leave here today thinking you've got to do more, you've got to try harder, you've got to do better. Hopefully this week it'll work. Pray that you will leave saying, okay, I, I understand the gospel a little bit and, and I pray that I'm going to see some fruit in my life as I apply the gospel. So that's, that's where we're going. Um, maybe some of you who have, who have grown up in church or, or been around church, um, you, you've heard sermons. Um, the, uh, the five ways to get freedom from sin. Maybe the 10 ways to be more loving. Uh, 13 ways to have more peace. Six ways to have more fulfillment in your Christian life. And the list could go on. And there may be some good teaching in that. But the reality is it's, it's, it's doing the surface thing instead of getting to the gospel. Because if I just tell you a bunch of things you've got to do, then you're going to try and do more rather than sit in the gospel of what Jesus has done. Tim Keller um, from a Redeemer Presbyterian in New York, 
He says the gospel is not just ABC. The gospel is A to Z. The gospel encompasses every part of your life. So if you are here and say, yeah, I've accepted Christ. I'm, I've, I've had the gospel. I understand the gospel. Now what? Tell me how to live. I'm saying that it's the gospel. It's the gospel. Um, I had an elder in my last church, um, not the one that I planted, but one that I went to be a, a part of. And I had an elder that said, said this to me, a direct quote. Why do we always have to talk about the gospel? And I sat back and, and like, I'm waiting for Ashton Kutcher to jump out of the closet, you know, getting punked. Like, what else is there? It's about the gospel. It's about what Jesus has done and applying it to our lives. There's an article um, that was written by Al Mohler Jr., um, great theologian, um, highly respect this man. And he was quoting a writer or a, a researcher named Christian Smith. Um, and in the, the article was called Moralistic Therapeutic Deism, the New American Religion. Um, the reality is, it says this, what happened was there was a bunch of researchers um, and they were doing a national study of religion at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. They took a close look at religious beliefs held by American teenagers. They found that the faith held and described by most adolescents came down to something researchers has, have now identified as moralistic, therapeutic deism. I'm going to go into those with in a second. But the reality is, where are these adolescents learning this from? They're learning it from their culture and they're learning it from home. And I want you to give five attributes of what it is. First of all, they believe this that God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, that God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and most world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Number five, good people go to heaven when they die. And I read those five things and, and I'm scared for people in churches all over our country, for adolescents, for people who actually believe this stuff and they believe that's what it is. And they think they're following Jesus. They think they're Christians and they believe not in Christianity, not in the gospel, not in Jesus Christ, but they believe in something called moralistic therapeutic deism. And I want to tell you that, that is not the truth of the gospel. I know you know this. I hope you know you've been, you've been hit over the head every week for 13 weeks, the gospel, and you'll continue. Christmas, it, you know, if Trevor stops preaching Jesus, I will get him out of here because that's what we, we do as, as a C2C. We're gospel-centered. The cross, Jesus, is the center. Paul writes in Romans 1, 15 and 16, he says this. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul is, starts off his book to, to the Roman church, and he says, I'm preaching the gospel to you. Who's he preaching to? Who's he preaching to? It says in verse 17, he's preaching to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. He's, he's talking to Christians. He's preaching the gospel to Christians, to people who believe the gospel. And I believe that's exactly what we need here. 
It's exactly what I need in my heart every single day. I need to hear the gospel again and again and again because I forget it, because I want to be my own savior. I want to let things in life be my savior rather than Jesus. And we always have to be brought back to the cross, back to the gospel, back to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul here is saying that he's preached it, you've received it, it's helping you be saved and you've got to hold to it. The gospel is part of helping us be saved always because we're going back constantly, constantly to the gospel. So if you've lived an unfulfilled Christian life, if you think, man, I need more, I pray that you would just dig down deeper into the gospel. And the reality is if you don't believe that your faith works, maybe you think it actually works for you, or maybe you actually believe some of this therapeutic moral deism that we just talked about. Maybe you actually believe that, or maybe some of your family believes that. We need to be reminded of it. See, if you are living an unfulfilled Christian life, if you think that, that, that maybe the gospel doesn't really work, it works for you because you, you've grown up in it, your whole family's all Christian. But if it doesn't work for you, how do you share that with somebody else? How do you tell them that this works? See, if you don't believe it works yourself, you're going to be a horrible evangelist because you're not going to tell anybody about Christ because you don't believe it works. Because you think, well, yeah, yeah. It's hard. I struggled. Yeah. But when you believe and understand the gospel and how it works in your life, it changes everything and it changes the way you live. That's what's happened to me. I remember, I'll tell you this story. We had been in ministry for years and um, we had gone, we had friends that were preparing for ministry the same time we were. And they decided not to go, or he decided not to go into ministry. And I went into ministry, and we went through a really tough time, and a really tough time financially. And I remember we were moving into this house. We just moved to another part of the city, and we were moving into this rental house that our friends who left the ministry or didn't go into ministry, they were supposed to go to missions, but instead they became um, turkey farmers. And we were moving into their rental place, and they were moving into a brand new multi-million dollar home. And I sat there and go, this God, you are not fair. I, I sacrificed everything and I'm moving into their rental. They said no to you in the mission field and now they get a multi-million dollar house. Are you serious? You actually, that, how, how fair is that? Actual conversation I had with God. And God in his love and his grace listened let me rant like a stupid, immature, spoiled kid. In that, I was not believing the gospel. I was believing, God, I've done all these things for you, so now you owe me. Ever do that? When things go bad, it's like, I've served you. Why are things going bad in my life? I deserve, deserve, you ever say that word? I deserve to be treated better. See, when I say things like that, I realize that I'm not understanding the gospel. Because if I truly, really understand the gospel, I know that I deserve nothing but hell. And yes, I'm not saying H-E double hockey sticks. It's hell, and it's a real place. 
I wish it wasn't in Scripture. I wish Rob Bell was right. I wish he was. Wouldn't it be so much better? Wouldn't it be better for your friends and your family that don't know Christ? If Rob Bell was right, it would be so much better. But that's not what Scripture says. And if we, if we remove that, we remove hell, then what does the gospel really... We're all good people. We're all going there anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But no, God in his amazing love sent his son Christmas time. God with us, Emmanuel, came to earth and the sin that I deserve, the hell that I deserve, he poured upon his son on the cross. And I get to live in this world with heat and light and cars and food and goodness and family and friends. And I say I deserve more. Are you serious? But we truly understand the gospel. When we truly understand what Jesus did for us, the love that God had for us that poured his wrath and the hell that we deserved on Jesus. And, and, and I want you to know that, that what Jesus suffered on the cross was not just painful death. Lots and thousands of guys have been killed on a cross. They've been tortured. But God poured all of the wrath and Jesus became sin for us. Sin for us. So Jesus wore my sin. And I know the sins that I have done and I don't deserve heaven. I know that I have committed high treason against an almighty, holy God that created me. But in his great love, sent Jesus who lived the life that I couldn't live, and died the death that I deserved. So I can live life eternal in heaven and I can live a life restored with God right now where I don't have to believe in the idols of this world to bring me hope and security. So as we get into verses 19 and 20, when we look at the sins, I, I want you to see the sin as a sin beneath the sin. And I'm not sure, sure if you're familiar with that language, but every sin that we have, there's a deeper sin of unbelief in the gospel. So let's say you struggle with materialism. The reality is, is okay, I've got to stop buying things. So you, you do the... And that doesn't change anything because your heart is still wanting that, but nothing's changed. You've just said, okay, I'm going to cut up my credit card. But what's the sin beneath that? What's that materialism? What's that buying things? What does it do for you? That becomes, and that's a functional savior, an idol in your life that brings you some kind of approval, some kind of security. And that's what you have to get to. It's, it's, it's not the sin. It's the sin beneath that sin. For those of you men, you struggle with, with lust, you could put all the, all the filters and all the accountability partners all over the place, but unless your heart changes, and, and those can be good, but unless your heart changes and says, what is, it the, what is it that I get when I look at this? What, 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 what's the payoff for me? And, and the reality is, is all of our payoffs of our sin are a deeper issue of something that we're not believing about the gospel. It's something that we're not believing about Jesus and about what God has said in his word to us. It's an unbelief in that. And that's where you need to go. And so your first thing when, you, when you're trying to deal with sin in your life is you got to go, what's the sin beneath the sin? And that's the issue when you can start dealing with it because you're not just dealing on, an, on a level up here because you do that and all you do is a bunch of rules. 
Okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. But no, what's your, what's your heart motivation? What are the, the idols in your life that are, you're serving, that you're worshiping to give you this peace and security? Verse 19 and 20 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, um, fits of anger, rivalry, just dissensions and divisions. Envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you struggle with any of those sins, you may go, I'm not even saved. I'm not even saved. I struggle with some of that stuff. And, and I want you to, to, to see, as we, as we look at this, of getting to the sin beneath those sins. And it's a disbelief in the gospel. Um, Scott Thomas and Tom Wood in their book, Gospel Coaching, um, they've taken these sins and they've put them into five categories, which I think helps us deal with it. Because to me, I don't want to, it's not going to be helpful for what sexuality, what sensuality, what's, we're going to put them into five groups. And, and they've done this and I think done it well and it makes a lot of sense. And the first group they've done is, is sexual. It's the immorality, the impurity, the sensuality. And, and, and what they, they do is they say, we got to look, when you're looking for idols, and I do this when I coach people, is you have to look for what, what's the approval because each of these things gives you something. We do what works in life. And so when you are dealing with a sin, it's giving you something in return. And, and they, they say they've broken them down into three things, that there's approval, there's comfort, and there's security that these things give us. And so when we understand, okay, this is giving me the security, this is giving me approval, you have to gospel yourself and say, well, wh- why do I need approval from this? In the gospel, I'm approved by God, not because I'm a good person, but because Jesus is good. And it keeps going back to Jesus, back to Jesus. And so when you look at the sexual um, thing, and, and most of, uh, I'm going to say most of the guys, but that's a struggle for guys, is to say sexually pure. And so the reality is, is you could put all these filters on the things because you say, what is it that I'm getting? There's a, sense of, there's a sense of comfort that comes with lust. There's a sense of security. Well, you, you, uh, you know, when it comes to pornography and lust, any guy can have any girl he wants. So a, a sense of power, a sense of security, that, a sense that I am somebody. It's the lie of pornography. Girls, same thing. As why, why does Paul in, in 1 Timothy 2 tell girls and women to be modest? Because they show things and they say, well, if, if people look at me, if, if guys look at me, at my body, then I'm okay. Well, you have a functional savior of, of, of your body and, and the security says, you know, if, if I get somebody to like me, then I'm okay. And we use that as a functional savior. You know, why do girls struggle with eating disorders? Because they believe it's, it's, it's not the eating disorder which is the sin, it's, it's the sin and the lie beneath that to say that you have to look a certain way in order to be accepted. Well, that's not the gospel. You know the gospel. You're accepted not because of what you've done. It's because Jesus loves you. And he took your penalty for you. That's the gospel. Moving on, relation, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalry, dissensions, and divisions. These come when, our, when we are not getting from the idol what we want. The relational idol, the idol of family, 
And we can make this, as, as, as North Americans, Christians, we can make the, the idol of family stand right out. Is, you know, you hear how many times you watch, you know, you see Christmas things. Yeah, the, the, the whole meaning of Christmas is about family. No, it's not. It's about Jesus. Family is a great byproduct and a gift that God's given you in his grace. But Christmas isn't about family. It's about Jesus. And so often people can take the idol of family, something very good, and Satan destroys it and becomes an idol because it becomes not a good thing. It becomes the ultimate thing, and that's an idol. And so we can say family is an idol. If your family is going well, life for you is good. If all of your kids are walking properly, then life is good. If all your friends like you, then life is good. And you're, you're having a functional savior in relations that you have. And when those things don't happen, it works itself out in enmity and strife and jealousy. Take jealousy, for instance. If your security is, is in relationship and someone likes somebody more than you, you're jealous of them. I'm jealous. I want to be like them. Why? Because you want what they're giving that other person. So that's your, that's your functional savior, not Jesus. It's relationships. Relationships are great. We're, we're called not to be alone. But when the, a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, then it becomes a bad thing. We have to know that. Um, religious. The religious idol of idolatry and sorcery. And, and Paul was dealing with people that were coming out of, out of cults and stuff. And there's probably not of you that are, a lot of you that are coming up with cults, but, but the reality is, is the religious thing. The reality that I'm going to do all the right things so I look good at church. I'm going to use religion or spirituality in a way that's going to be my functional savior and I'll get away from Jesus. So you can be legalistic. You know, um, I can't stand legalism in the church or people that think that they're better than someone because they don't watch TV. Ever had those people, you know, you watched years ago. Hey, have you watched, have you seen this one show? For instance, I, the other day, you know, my boys and we watched Duck Dynasty. It's just the funniest, I swear I'd never watched that show, but then you watch it and it's just like, these people are crazy. It's, it's funny. Um, but you, you say that to someone, hey, did you see that episode of Duck Dynasty? Oh no, we don't watch TV. And in that, there's just a little bit of a, yeah, you know, I'm a, just a little bit better. Uh, God's l- pleased a little more with me because I don't watch TV. Um, we could do it with anything. But again, it, it's, it's not the sense that relationships are wrong. It's below that we have to look at. Um, so if you find your, your sense of worth and security in anything other than Jesus and the gospel, I tithe. Maybe, maybe that's, that could be an idol. I, I, yeah, I tithe. You know, we, we can't do that because we tithe. Maybe people say that, but you, you're using something that you've done for God to, to kind of prop you up. Well, that's not the gospel. That's, that's works salvation. And the gospel is completely against works salvation. It's all about free grace. Materialism. None of us struggle with materialism. Us in North America, this is probably our biggest sin. And we don't even think, we look to the people that are super mega rich and we, we complain about them instead of saying, hey, you know what, we're rich. We are rich. We're filthy rich. And we think that we, when we put materialism, we, we think, okay, I've got, a certain, I've got a certain clothes that I wear. Why are name brand clothes so popular? Yeah, they're, they're probably better 
you know, they fit better, they a little better quality. But the reality is, is people are going to think something better of me because I'm wearing cool clothes. Like my sons want to dress me up. They want to take me to, to after this, they want to take me to Iron Mills and they want to buy me some Nomis clothing because um, they think I have to look cooler. And I'm saying, um, you know, the, those, I was the first one that I knew that had an iPhone 5. I, had an, I've got, I have an iPhone 5. And, and some of you go, okay, you're an idiot. But it's like people can use even things like technology. Okay, any, any Apple people here? Okay, yeah, they, I'm Apple! <laughs> Why? Because somehow you, you think you're a little technologically better than other people because you have an Apple. Because you have an iPhone 5. Um, maybe you, when you, you're striving to get a better house, a nicer car, better jewelry, whatever it would be, is that when, if I had that, if I had that house, if I lived at that address, then I would be okay. Is that really the sin or is it, or you said, you know what? I'm thinking that my worth, my identity comes from a material thing rather than from Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, I'm going to do things. Um, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money it is a root of all kinds of evil. We do things because, man, I, if I can do that and we'll sacrifice, we'll, we will um, work over time, we'll become workaholics so we can make more money, so we can have something. So uh, look what I've achieved. And we all say, oh, yeah, he's just a hard worker. And the reality, it's idolatry. Because we're thinking, if I achieve this, then I'm okay. The gospel says you're okay because of Jesus. And it changes the way you look at things instead of like, okay, I can't buy this, can't buy this. Like, no, what, what is it that this is saying about me? It's not wrong to have name brand things. It's not wrong to have an iPhone 5. It's not wrong to have a Mac computer. It may be wrong to have a PC, but it's not wrong to do these things. The reality is, is we have to say, what is this doing for me? Am I getting any identity, of any worth, any comfort, any security, any approval in this? Because the reality is, is do, will I be approved? Will people approve of me with what I'm showing that I'm using? The last is indulgences, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's the approval. When you overindulge in something, it's like, yeah, we're, we're being with the rest of the group. You're, you're included. You know, back to junior high where you want to be with everybody else. And so, okay, everybody else is doing it, so I'll do it too. There's an approval there. Um, you're, you're getting approved by the way. The comfort. When you over-medicate whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's food, whether it's sex, whatever it would be, whatever a good thing can be an ultimate thing, which is a bad thing. It could be anything, but when you overindulge because it eases the pain, that's when it's wrong. You realize, okay, there's, a, there's, there's something there that, that I need. Or how about alcohol in, in the idea of security? I have a, little, a couple drinks, and I can be the person I always wanted to be. I'm less inhibited. I can be the life of the party. And so that becomes an idol that you begin to worship. And so you get involved in drinking and drinking and drinking because it, it numbs you and it allows you to be accepted. It's an idol. And so Paul has taken all of these 15 things and I, and I, I think it's good to put, it, put them in, a, in a categories. But name, what, what, what's your idol of choice? You know, when I sit with people that have, that have been um, into substance abuse, you'll say, well, what's your... What's your substance of choice? What's your, what do you abuse? 
So the question is, is uh, you as a Christian, what is your idol of choice? How do you find fulfillment? How do you find approval? And how do you find security in other things other than Christ? Because if you answer that question, you will be able to deal with the sin a whole lot easier because you're understanding, man, I don't need that because I'm approved in the gospel. And you've got to continually preach the gospel to yourself. He goes on to verse 22. And he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I, I, Paul's using a metaphor here. Okay? Pastor Trevor likes metaphors. Okay? Fruit. Okay? He chose fruit, I think, for a reason. He doesn't say, these are the vegetables of the Spirit. Okay? I never had to sit at the table to eat my fruit. Little Johnny sat at the table for hours because I didn't want to eat peas. Okay? I don't know what happens after they, they, they taste great in the garden. You put them in the freezer and they taste horrible. But the reality is, is that fruit, what's fruit? Fruit tastes good. Fruit looks good. Fruit is good for you. The reality is, is that's when we apply the gospel to our lives. That's what comes out of us. A fruit, it begins with a seed, a tree that's watered and looked, cared for and pruned. And, and all of a sudden it's ready to mature and, and ready to bear fruit. And it needs to be pollinated. And then the fruit, does a fruit just, like the, when you look at a, an, uh, an orange tree or an apple tree, does a fruit just bang, the, the, the fruit's there. No, it takes time. You see a bud and you see it mature slowly into the right thing until it ripes and ripen and then now you can eat that fruit if you leave that fruit on there if you don't use that fruit it will just rot and die and so the reality is is if you take the metaphor and you you realize that fruit is something that looks good in your life when when you begin to apply the gospel to your life and you believe it works because it because you're finding your approval in christ and not in other things or stuff or people then you go the gospel works And you don't have to be jealous of somebody. You don't have to be covetous of what they have because you know what? You're okay with what you have. You believe that you're blessed with what you have, not that you need more to be happy. You need to be happy first and foremost in Jesus Christ. And so as we do that, then that fruit comes out of our life. It's not something we try to do. It's something that just happens because we're living the life that we're called to live. We're living in the gospel because we continually preach the gospel to ourselves. The first one is, is, this is what happens when you apply the gospel to your life. Love. Fruit of the Spirit. How can I love? I can love others around me because I don't need to get love back because I know that I'm loved first and foremost by Jesus Christ. I know that I'm okay. I know that I'm accepted because of what Jesus does for me. In Jesus and standing in the gospel, I know that I'm truly loved. Not because I'm lovable, but because he who is love loved me first. Think of that. When, you, when you're trying to get love from somebody else, realize, you know, I don't, I'm okay if nobody at this Christmas party talks to me because I know that God the Father, God the Son loves me. His spirit lives in me. So I'm okay if nobody actually talks to me. I'm not going to die because my security doesn't come from whether or not I'm the life of the party or people like me or talk to me. It's because Jesus loves me. 
And Scripture tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. So when you're at the Christmas party, you go, man, no one's talking to me. I feel like such a loser. Man, I should go maybe have a couple drinks and I'll feel better. No. Understand the gospel. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. And know this. This is crazy. Is that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. Nothing. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. Think about that. Any relationships we have, we're always worried about that. With God, no. Loves us. Gave his life for us. The grace, not because we're good, but because he is. Joy. You and I can be truly happy despite my circumstances. We don't have to to be joyful. How's your day today? Well, life sucks. No, you know what? Circumstances suck, but my life is pretty darn good because Jesus loves me. He's got a plan for my life and he's going to look after me in eternity. I stand in that truth and it allows me to have joy. And people at work, why are you joyful? This sucks what you're doing. Jesus loves me. Didn't do anything for it. He just loves me. That is joy. It gives you joy. It comes out. People, what's with you? Jesus loves me because you're living in the gospel. You become a witness. Peace. I can live at peace because Jesus and I have peace. I have peace with God because of Jesus. That rebellion that we did, our first parents did, that we followed them in, in the garden, that we can now have peace because Jesus has reconciled us to God. He's restored that relationship. So I'm at peace. God has poured the wrath that I deserved on His Son, Jesus Christ. I have peace. We can be peaceful people because that has happened. And you know what? I can make peace with other people. I am forgiven. I can now forgive the person that's wronged me. Because you know what? Jesus has canceled all of my debts. So in the gospel, I have the power to say, I forgive you. And so much when we, people hurt us, we say, I'm not forgiven because they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. You know what? I didn't deserve my salvation. I didn't deserve forgiveness, but Jesus gave it to me freely. And so therefore, I freely have to give forgiveness to them. It's a way to live. It's a peaceful way to live. When you realize that you deserve, that I deserve nothing but hell. And I get heaven I get this life. I get to do this for a living. I get a beautiful wife and kids. And I, I get to do this. Are you serious? It's not fair. I would always tell my church that God is not fair. If God is fair, all of us get hell. But he's so unfair. Isn't that awesome? Jesus came to earth that we get this. Oh. Patience. I can be patience in my life. I don't have to be worried. I can be patient. How can I be patient? Because God has been patient with me. God has waited for me. He's pursued me. He's wooed me to come to Him. He's patient. And when I understand what God's done for me, I can be patient with other people. I can, I can wait for people to get to where I am. Why? Because God waited for me. I don't have to panic. I know that God is in control that he loves me, that he gave himself up for me. And he said things like this, Matthew six thirty four. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day and its own trouble. He goes on to say that he's going to look after it. 
Don't be anxious. I'm looking after it. John 14 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen to this, I will come again and I will take you to myself and that where I am, you will be also. So Jesus says, don't worry. I've got now covered and I've got the future covered. I've got an eternal warranty that this thing works. So you can be patient. You don't need to be anxious. Kindness. I can be a kind person and show kindness to others. Why? Because God has showed kindness to me. God has showed kindness to you. He's pursued you. He's wooed you. He's showed his love to you. You've given you the gift of faith, if you know Christ, to come to him. So God has showed kindness to me. And when I understand that, I can show kindness to other people. Goodness. I can show goodness in my life because all that I have is a gift. I haven't earned one thing. I can live my life with an open hand. Says, you know, I deserve nothing. So as I live with an open hand, people can take and people can give. It's a great way to live, to bless people because God has been good to us. We as Christians, when we understand the gospel, can be good to others. Faithful, I can be faithful to others and to my vows that I've made because it's not about me. I realize that my life is not about me, it's about God. It's about me glorifying God in everything that I do. So when I realize that, hey, it's not about me, yeah, you know what, I, I have so many people that when I was a pastor, you know, they want to bail on their marriage because they're not getting fulfilled. It's not meeting their needs. Like, dude, it's not about you. If you read Ephesians 5, your marriage is supposed to just glorify God and people are supposed to look at your marriage and go, oh, that's how God and the church work. That's how Jesus loves the church. That's how it's supposed to work. So we can be that. I can be gentle with others because Jesus was gentle with me. When I look what I deserve, things that I've done and I'm forgiven, according to, Christ, according to Scripture, I am the righteousness of Christ. If you know Jesus, you are the righteousness of God. The righteousness, think about it. You know the things you've done. And your righteousness in God's eyes, you can have a relationship with God only because you're seen without sin. And that's only because of Jesus and the gospel. Psalm 138 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the God that we serve. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So when I understand who God is, I can be that. When I don't have to be, and I will fall short, but I go back to the gospel. Self-control. I can be self-controlled because I do not need to medicate in any substance or anything because my, exert, my security, my acceptance are all found in Christ and not things, stuff, or other people. I don't have to self-medicate because I know that I'm in Christ and I'm secure in Him. I know that I'm a new creation in Christ and the old is gone and the new has come. You see, that's how the fruit of the Spirit works itself out when we truly understand the gospel. So the sin is getting beneath the sin, beneath the sin. Finding what is it that I'm finding my security in? What is it that I'm finding my approval in? And it's finding that idol and, and, and dealing with it and letting the gospel and Jesus deal with it, the truth of the gospel. Verse 24 says this. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you want to crucify the flesh and its passions and desires, you have to get to the gospel. You have to truly believe what Jesus has done for you.
and live in that every single day. This isn't a one-time thing. But ask yourself, what am I not believing about the gospel? When you're tempted to sin, what is it that I'm not believing about the gospel? What am I not believing what Jesus said? What am I not believing what God has done for me? Ask yourself those questions and get the sin beneath the sin. And you will have victory over those things. And you won't feel like you've just got a list of do's and don'ts. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When we truly understand the idols that are at work in our life, the functional saviors that are at work, then we're not going to want to gratify those things because we're going to say, I'm not gratified. I don't need to gratify that desire because my desire is met in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. How do we crucify the flesh? How do you crucify the flesh in your life? You know who you belong to. You gospel yourself. Galatians 2.5, Paul says this. Paul wants the truth of the gospel preserved in you. And I know that's Pastor Trevor's desire for you is that the gospel is preserved in you. That you go from this place and you live in the gospel. Not live in rules and regulations. Not live in I can do whatever I want, but live in like that you are a forgiven person. That you're a new creation in Christ and that you live for him in the gospel. Pray. Ask Christ to reveal, his spirit to reveal this stuff. He said in John 16, 13, when the spirit of the truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So maybe there's some lies that you're believing in your life. Ask him to reveal the truth to you. And you will live by the spirit. Let me just pray. Father God, I just thank you that you have loved us so much that you... We're willing to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. That it's Christmas we celebrate that you have been with us, that you have come. And Lord, I, I, I don't deserve that. We don't deserve that. And I just praise you and thank you that you have done that for us. And I pray, God, that you will just help each one of us in this room by your Holy Spirit, by the Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, that you will help us understand what we struggle with, God, and that we would be, become more like you, not doing a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts, but getting to the heart of the matter that what are we not believing about you, Lord Jesus? We pray that we would believe those things about you, Jesus, that we would believe the truth of the gospel, that we can't save ourselves, that nothing in this world will bring us security or approval. Only you will bring that, and you bring that in your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Johnny. Um, I don't know about you. I got a, a lot of notes here. I got some work to do myself uh, because I think one of the greatest the greatest problems with Christians is we just don't think we've got work to do, and we don't think there are and that many idols in our life. I truly believe that. Thank you, Johnny, for bringing that out and listening to the Spirit. And so we've actually got a time built right into our service. Um, and we do this on purpose. The first part of our service is really a lot about what we believe God is saying to us. And then the last part of our service is about how we respond to God. And so we have this gift given to us by Jesus himself. Uh, it's called in your Bible, uh, you will see the Lord's table, the Last Supper, that kind of uh, talk. And he said, every time you gather together, I want you to, to celebrate this. And we took that seriously at Urban Grace, and we do it every week. 
And the reason why is because I think every week we just we need to go back again to what are we worshiping? Who is our real Savior? Not who do we say our Savior is, like Johnny said, but who is really our Savior? And so we've got some time for you to respond as you take of the bread and the cup. And what you're doing here is you're not, if you're not a Christian, uh, we encourage you not to partake in this, not because we don't want you to partake in it, but because there is nothing magical in these elements. There's nothing in these elements that will wash away your sin or your guilt. Only Jesus can do that. But we want you to take this because you already believe that. And so if you're not a Christian, I would say don't partake. Instead, become a Christian and partake. Believe in Jesus. It's not a one-time thing. You will not do this just today. You will do this repeatedly over and over again. Believe in Jesus Christ. And that is what this opportunity is for. To come forward and to say, yes, Jesus, it is through your broken body. It is through your death on the cross. It is through your shed blood that my sins are forgiven. Jesus, I have followed my own idol. And I don't want to do that anymore. And there has been no freedom for me. Jesus, show me your freedom again. And so I'd ask you to come and participate in our tradition is simply the first person up breaks the bread and then just dip it in the cup of your preference. And uh, again, confess your sins, call out to God, pray, ask for his spirit to be in you, revealing himself to you. Some of you would ask, why do I need to get to the bottom of my idolatry? Because I believe when you do, the gospel begins to look so much better. And so do that, not for just my sake or because that's what we're trying to do here, get good at idol collecting or figuring out. We want to get closer to the gospel, obviously. We want to understand the greater news. So come and Tom and his band will lead and then we'll close.